Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hillstring Gang, Rango. Welcome back to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. So y'all, in our first season, we're going to jump right into it. In our first season of Bloody Angola, we may mention, I think it was, Woody, it might have been our first episode. It was, it was, it was the walls. The walls, yeah. that's right. And, and it was regarding women once being imprisoned at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. So since then, y'all, we have got messages often. I mean, you know, probably monthly uh, about featuring the stories of some of these women as well as the history of what brought them there. So that sent me down what 
people refer to as rabbit hole. Yeah, they, <laughs> and you do that so well. Right? <laughs> I'm telling you. And this one was a little bit tougher than most for several reasons. One, as we've always told y'all, you know, prison uh, information is not necessarily widely available. They kind of let you know what they want you right, to know. Because, right. I mean, you know. It's a whole different world. Right. People just wouldn't. They don't and understand. If they knew what the fuck went on inside of prison, they would run down the street with a hair on They but. would. So that was one hurdle to jump. But then, then another one was the amount of time. I mean, you're talking the mid-1800s when a lot of these, uh, these women were at Louisiana State Penitentiary, even before it was known as Angola. So... Right. Uh, I did manage to get some information. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so we got to go back, y'all. We got to go way, way back. back. <laughs> way back. We're going to start in 1847. Now, y'all, this was a different time in American history than you I know mean, today. For real, there were, uh, I mean, this this is twenty almost twenty years before the Civil War, even right. That's right. And people, you know, everything was different back then in any way, shape, and form you can think of. Right. But uh, what you're going to hear, it's it it's disturbing in in a lot of cases, and you may even question, is that possible? Because it's just something that today would be totally unbelievable. But right. I can assure you this is not only possible, it is all fact. Right. And it's from a time that most people would probably rather forget, but it was a part of it's history. Part of history, yeah. And, and uh, made us where we are today, that's for sure. That's right. So we're going to jump into it. And what do you, you know, you take it? I uh, will take it from, from here. So, y'all, the year is 1847, and they – Three different enslaved women found themselves living in the heart of downtown Baton Rouge. 25-year-old Rhoda had been born in Maryland and was the mother of a two-year-old son named William. And 41-year-old Celeste had been born in Louisiana and had been previously enslaved on a plantation in St. Mary Parish. And 12-year-old Phoebe had been born in Mississippi but came to Baton Rouge from Plaquemine. Now, y'all, again, this is... We're talking about inside the walls, downtown Baton Rouge. That's where the first penetration. I'll get to it in a second. So all of these women were very different. In 1847, all three had one thing in common. They were all serving life sentences in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. And between 1833 and 1861, at least 35 women were in prison within the Louisiana State Penitentiary, which at the time, y'all, was located in Baton Rouge, and the majority of these women had received life sentences for a variety of crimes. Now, within the penitentiary, women were forced to work from sunup to sundown. And keep this in mind, this was the big cotton heyday for the South, and a lot of clothing, et cetera, was being made at the prison, and that meant money. Yeah, it did. Money, money, money. And the South was was rich right, right, right. compared to the North back right. then well, because well, of the cotton That's right, and the, the North had industrial factories and stuff, which the South didn't have, but the South had the cotton and cotton made the world go around back then. Right. High cotton. That's where that phrase came from. Exactly. Um, anyway, but the, the conditions y'all, and if you can imagine how bad they were in 1847, they were just absolutely horrible. And many of, of the women would die of disease, um, medical care and all that probably not, 
almost non-existent. And some of these women would even conceive and give birth to children while inside the penitentiary. Now, I, I know you're probably about to cover this, but if y'all go back and listen to the Walls episode, one of the most disturbing things about it is if you're a female and you're locked up in prison in Angola, or not Angola, in uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary at the time, and you got raped, it, there's nobody got charged, and mm-hmm. you had a baby, the state took it and made it a slave. The state of Louisiana That's took right. the baby and made it a slave automatically. That's exactly right, and we are later on going to get into exactly how that took place. Now, you know, imprisoning women in Louisiana State Penitentiary, y'all, was – also something that was unique to the antebellum south in the north they didn't uh they just didn't do this as often i mean they didn't women were it wasn't like they imprisoned them in the north and put them to work in the factories for free that's right because they didn't have the slaves that's right and and so it was a, a unique situation here in the south and sentencing uh to state penitentiaries was not you know, common really at all up up north. So Louisiana was the only state, believe it or not, in the Deep South to consistently sentence women to the state penitentiary throughout the mid eighteen hundreds. In many ways, the experiences of these women these women are a historical anomaly. Right. They're just odd things that you didn't see anywhere else in the country. I, I don't know that I ever heard of it. Uh, any, a matter of fact, and I'm a big history buff like you are, I never heard of like this happening. Yeah, it was it was not very well uh, practiced at all. And they formed a population that was really exclusive to Louisiana and even more exclusive to Baton Rouge. So Baton Rouge in those days, the the capital city of right. Louisiana, right. the it, river docks were rolling. It was it was a big deal. Yeah, they had they had a prism with with big walls around it. And yeah. go listen to the walls if you hadn't, and that'll kind of set you, set you up for this story. But they they formed that population, uh, and the intense just hardship these women faced and the uniqueness of their experience that makes them an absolutely critical part of the history of prisons in Louisiana and of Angola. Even though it wasn't Angola yet, that's what it became. And, uh, and this is a a sad, but important part of that history. Now, despite the historical significance of the women at Angola, uh, there's, very little that you can find of their lives prior to that, during that, or even after they got released right. from prison. Right. Back then, women weren't allowed to keep diaries or document anything really when uh, they were in prison. To be honest with you, um, slaves was against the law for them to even read and write. Yeah, that that's right. And that very true. That's what they were. We were, we were slaves. That's right. And and most of what you can find, and you have to piece together kind of through old newspaper articles, letters from, believe it or not, military, you know, guys would write back home to their wives and right. things, especially during the Civil War, and they would mention this. Uh, and that's kind of how you how you got to the history of it, right? And so. Uh, like Jim just told y'all, Louisiana State Penitentiary was the only, uh, basically Louisiana was the only state during that time to house both men and women within the walls, okay, within the same prison walls. According to prison records, the first recorded women sentenced to the penitentiary were Eliza um, and Sylvia. No last names were given during that time, y'all 
who both arrived at the prison in 1833. The the women were sentenced to life for the poisoning of their slave owner. Mm. Mm. Questionable at best. Maybe so. I don't know. They were both convicted on the same day in St. James Parish and arrived in the prison together. Now, what do you think of the chances? I'm going to go off on tangent here. That two slaves from two different plantations just happened to poison what they call back then their masters on the same day. Well, but believe it or not, uh, back then, that was the most common way of acting out against your slave master. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Because that you couldn't, two, as, as a female, two, you couldn't beat him up. Right, right. You know, two, so you just poison him because you're serving his food. Day. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Man. Yeah. Uh, so... They would live in the prison, y'all, until Sylvia died in the late 1840s. And by 1855, the population of women in, in uh, prison there peaked at the number of 18 of them, y'all, with the vast majority there serving a life sentence. Now, slaves, which made up the lion's share of these women, had a different form of sentencing than non-slaves. This was known as the Black Code. Now, the Black Code stated that a slave can be convicted of a capital crime from anything from murder to arson to simply hitting a white person. The majority of those women at Louisiana State Penitentiary during that time had been convicted of arson or poisoning, which in those days were the most common form of resistance among enslaved women, like Jim just told you about the, the poisoning part. And I guess the arson, they'd be like, mm, I'm tired of cooking your shit, I'm going to burn your house down. Yeah, and it was, it was for these women, it was opportunity yeah. uh, for them because they were the ones preparing the meals for these slave masters. It's the only way they I could get them. I almost bet you a lot of that is just they may have had attitude and bucked up and they just called the local sheriff and said she tried to burn down what yeah. you know, lock her up for life oh but, i'm but sure you know, there was a lot that, of that you're losing money. money you're losing and, money and you that's lose right money. That's and you the, gotta the, you the know, horrible thing about slavery is that, that they were money so they the people they, they had to buy them and and they bred it's just fucking horrible but it's it's history that's right. And, you know, back then there was even controversy from lawmakers during that ta- time on what to do with the women at the penitentiary. So, uh, you know, even in those days, which was a horrible time period, y'all, in history, and a lot of these things that you're hearing, they're just horrible. Uh, but even lawmakers during that time couldn't agree on what to do with them. Some argued they should be sent back to their masters or put to work on a chain gang, which they had a chain gang, y'all, that actually operated out of New Orleans, right. uh, rather than being sent to the penitentiary. Yeah, chain gang. So it's, chain uh, gang was another way for the state to save money. Right? Yeah. Building roads or whatever it may be. That's right. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Miss Kitty, y'all. Right. And Miss Kitty was a woman from New Orleans who was sentenced to life imprisoning for, you guessed it, poisoning her slaveholder. Right. Uh, his name was Levi Smelter, and the poisoning uh, occurred in May of 1855, going way back. Wait. But Kitty was not arrested for the crime until eight, uh, until July of 1855. She actually confessed to a neighbor that she was put up to the poisoning by Mrs. Smelter and Adam Scott, who was a man Mrs. Smelter was having an affair with. How about that? And you didn't even think that went down in 1855. But not only was she having an affair, which back then that was serious. 
But she also wanted to kill her husband right. over it. This is according to uh, Miss Kitty. And eventually, Scott and Miss Smelser were also arrested in addition to Miss Kitty. And all three individuals were arraigned together on August 7th of 1855. Now, enslaved individuals in that time, like Miss Kitty, they weren't allowed to testify against whites. Uh, Kitty's testimony was not heard until after the verdicts for Scott and Miss Smelser had been determined to ensure that her testimony was not illegally used to prejudice Scott and Smelser. Uh, Even when her confession was heard, Kitty was not allowed to testify herself, and her statement was given by the neighbor she had initially confessed to. So according to Kitty's reported confession, Scott had purchased the poison himself. So the guy that that the wife was cheating with, he buys the poison. He gives it to Kitty to poison Mr. Smelser. Scott and Miss Smelser had had promised to free Kitty by taking her to Kentucky where she could escape to a free state. Mm. So they basically said, look, you poison him. We're going to drive you to Kentucky. Or not drive you. We're going to horse and buggy you to Kentucky, and then you can just run off in the woods and you'll be a free free person. And she's down for that, right? right? Uh, as we all would be. So after suspicions started to arise over the circumstance of Miss Melser's death, Scott and Miss Smelser locked Kitty in a room in Miss Smelser's home and planned to sell her to Texas. Yeah. So you as a slave and make some money off of you. Kitty figures this out, y'all, right. and Kitty manages to escape and runs to the home of a neighbor where that's where she supplied that confession for that all makes, of this. That makes sense. So Adam Scott, he's found guilty, and he's sentenced to life in prison in the state penitentiary. As the jury could not decide uh, the verdict for Miss Smelser, she was released from the parish prison on bail and they just never tried her again. That's they crazy. they basically and deadlocked and gave up on it. And everything else. Huh? So in March of 1857, almost two years after the poison, uh, Kitty was tried before the New Orleans Slave Tribunal. Believe it or not, that that's what that it was, was called. Thing, yeah. And she was found guilty of willing, fully, fallaciously. Uh, feloniously. Thank you. <laughs> feloniously. I'm not going to boom that out because that was hilarious. Uh, And of her own malice, poisoning Mr. Smelser and sentenced to life in prison in the state penitentiary. So he, the, the, other dude just happened to be Adam Scott. Was yeah, also. that's right. They, they probably ran into each other over there. Miss mm-hmm. Smelser's lawyer actually attempted to appeal the sentence to the Louisiana Supreme Court on grounds that her trial occurred five days before a new law was passed that changed the procedures for slave tribunals. However, the appeal was denied and she was received into the penitentiary on January 26th of 1858. Crazy. So that's, that was a... Dude, when I came across that story, I'm like, this is a great one to tell. I, I can't believe you I mean, this. that paints this, a picture, this, doesn't it? It's amazing. So, and more of what Jim came across is, uh, uh, you know, we gave you details on the walls, but listen to this, y'all. Let me tell you about the working and living conditions at, at Louisiana State Penitentiary at that time. Now, in the 1830s and 1840s, at the prison, labor was required state of Louisiana wanted to turn a profit from the prison, and there was no public funding at that time. Eventually, in the mid-1940s, the state started 
convict leasing to to accomplish this, right? And we we tell you about that in the walls. And they basically made an agreement with two individuals, Charles McHatton and William Pratt, that they would lease the convicts and those two guys uh, could keep all the profits minus the costs related to the prison, right? The housing and the feeding and whatever form of the guards. So most female prisoners were employed in the production of cotton and wool clothing and were required to labor from sunup to sundown. Now, for the white prisoners, forced hard labor within the penitentiary was designed to be a drastic change in their status and conditions, right? Imagine, like, this guy, Adam Scott, who did the poison. Yeah. Um, for the enslaved female prisoners, the wrongful ownership of their labor had simply been transferred uh, to a different master, which was the state of Louisiana. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Now, let me just say this right here, because that's a good point you just brought up. What they were basically trying to say was, well, these these slaves are getting sentenced to prison. They're not, you know, as ridiculous, y'all, and horrible as this sounds. The state was trying to say, well, they're already enslaved. They're already sort of in prison because they're slaves. They're already being made to work from. So there's no. Uh, worse consequence right, right. for yeah. them. And, Why send them and, to and prison? Other than now they're paying their own way. You know, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that, I mean, makes total sense if you live in an 1830s house. Um, so records indicate that for the most part, the enslaved women performed labor that was primarily gender-coded. Um, a penitentiary report from 1839 lists nine women employed as washers, and menders for the penitentiary. Somebody's got to make the clothes. Or and sew on buttons when they break. Right, and- right. I mean, that's a, that's a real deal. And based on the convict registry for that year, six of those women were enslaved. Now, again, no, real, not even really any difference, right? Yeah. But records also indicate the women's labor in the penitentiary was not segregated by race. That's a big deal. A newspaper reporting on the conditions of the penitentiary describes how there are four colored women who work along with a white woman. Um, those, those, these enslaved women were not treated equally. White and enslaved women working side by side shows that in the penitentiary, the racial division of labor was not as it was in the free world. Prisoners were prisoners for the most part. And that's that's really interesting because in in the free world, in free society, a white woman and and, and a woman of color. Unless, unless one of them was the, the white woman's slave. That's right. And, you know, they didn't 
they didn't do it is you know they didn't use the same bathrooms they didn't right, live right, in the same right, houses right. other than other than the housekeeper uh so for them to work side by side even in prison was strange it was uh it was not something that was practiced outside of those prison walls but inside the prison you know if 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 your job was to mend clothes and sew on buttons and you know i'm sure they would do the patches uh, i'm sure yeah, they, whatever needs yeah they somebody patch up to, all say, these somebody uniforms had to cook too. somebody had to and, cook and they were they right were side by outside side. and put them together yeah that's right so uh very interesting part uh, of, yeah. of this story right it, there. It, if you take it in the context of what That's times right. were back then. That's right. Then, now, what he brought up earlier about children being born yeah, in, in the penitentiary. And yeah. uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So this was more common, y'all, than you may think. As a matter of fact, between 1835 and 1862, 15 children resided inside of the penitentiary with their mothers. Can you imagine? Yeah. With their mothers inside right. the penitentiary. But you know what? That you know saves the state of the money having to raise them independently. Yeah. And they getting at some point they're getting labor out of them. That's right. Now, some of these children's mothers, they they probably entered the penitentiary already pregnant. Records show uh, a prisoner by the name of Jenny. And remember, they didn't use last names and, right. and slaves did not have last names right. back then. What was known as slaves. Um, Jenny, who entered the prison in March of 1859, gave birth to her son, Joe, uh, the same year. And he, he went by the last name of Wilson. Uh, maybe that was his slave. Owner's I, I last think, name. Yeah, so the, the, a lot of it was uh, they had the slave owner's last name back then. So Marceline, which was a woman sentenced to five years for assaulting a white. Look, five years yeah, for just yeah. probably slapping a white woman who's, right. who beat her with a belt right, or something. Right. Uh, entered the penitentiary in 1853 with, with her nine-year-old daughter, Henrietta. So she brought her daughter to the penitentiary oh, with her. Nine years old already. So there's more labor for the state right. is the way the state's looking at that. However, the vast majority of the children born in the penitentiary were conceived after their mothers were imprisoned. And in each case, the fathers of these children are unknown. Right. This is, I mean, and we, you can imagine you why. You can imagine. Uh, well, you know, every, everybody you look around and see got here because two people screwed, right? But back then, I would, I would submit to you that – the women and men housed together in prison, they were getting used. That's right. right. And, raped. Yeah. and given it, given that the female prisoners didn't live completely separate from the right. male prisoners right. until about 1856, so before that time, they didn't live separate. Right. Uh, it's possible that these children were fathered by some of those male prisoners. It's also possible that these children were fathered by the penitentiary's officers exactly. or leasers. You know, the they leased them out, and and these men they worked in close contact with the penitentiary, and would have they would have access to these right. uh, female prisoners. Yep. So and they weren't going to be calling it rape. That's right. And not only did these women have to birth and raise these children in what we have already described to you as hard, very harsh conditions at the penitentiary, but they also had to watch as their children were taken away from them and sold. Mm-hmm. Imagine Mad. that. Ripping from the arms and it's crazy to even to wrap your mind around that. But this that happened. And on yeah. December eleventh of eighteen forty eight, 
actually, the state legislature uh, passed an act stating that all children born to women in prison within the state penitentiary would be taken from their mothers and auctioned off at the age of 10. This blows my mind. That's a that's a fact in history, y'all. Ten years old, you became a, a, a full fledged slave for somebody else. They bought you. Louisiana State Legislature, in, in, and it, that it's was, an act. That, Look that's it up. The way it was back then, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first of these auctions occurred on December first of eighteen forty nine, when a thirteen year old by the name of Celeste and ten year old Frederick were purchased. Were both purchased by Charles McHatton, which was one of the penitentiary's first leasers. Right. So he actually bought. Uh, those two, and and from 1849 to 1861, nine more children will be taken from the penitentiary and just basically auctioned off to the highest bidder. That's crazy. As if you're buying so a piece of property. Put them up there and then make them turn around and check the teeth and their bone, you know, muscles. And muscles, and then uh, you know the bidding goes up while you're standing there like a piece of meat. Yeah, just insane. And most of these children, y'all, they were pur- purchased by men that were closely affiliated with the penitentiary, like the leasers. Right, they get first dibs, right? First dibs and opening up the possibility. Some of these children may be purchased by the men who actually fathered yeah, them. right. How about that? Yeah, exactly. So a few of the children were purchased by prominent slaveholders from Baton Rouge, such as Priscilla, who in 1860 was purchased by a guy by the name of John Hill, and almost 40 years after he purchased Priscilla for $1,010, a lot of money back then. Hey, that's that's like a million dollars today, bro. That's a, that's I mean, a ton of money that's, back then. But John Hill was loaded, right? right? And John Hill would donate actually $33,000, ton of money back right. then, to Louisiana State University as an endowment for what's known as the Hill Memorial Library. That's uh, Azaline, who was imprisoned in the penitentiary from 1839 to 1862, gave birth to two children by the name of Joseph and Emmeline during that time and had to endure both of them being taken away from her. Horrible. At the minimum age of 10 years old. Henrietta, who had come into the penitentiary with her mother, uh, Marceline was sold in 1854, four years after her mother was released and returned to their former slave owner. Mm-hmm. So Correct. she actually stayed in when her mother got released, and four right. years later, she got sold. Got sold. Um, Susan's son, Washington, was taken from the penitentiary and sold in May of 1861. Right, beginning of the Civil War. That's right. A year before, actually, the Union Army would actually seize control of the walls and eventually would release the prisoners. Right. I'll tell you about that yeah, in a little I can while. I'm sure that was a shock to their system to see that y'all the majority of the women in prison within the penitentiary received life sentences and remained in the penitentiary until the civil war. Um, but between 1833 and 1861, 11 women were actually released from the penitentiary, believe it or not. And four of the women who were released had received shorter sentences ranging from 18 months to five years and were released when those sentences were completed. Now, one of these women women was Eliza, a 12-year-old girl who had been sentenced to two years imprisonment for attempting to poison her master and mistress. Mm-hmm. Right? Another poison. So to kill both of them. Four 
of the other women who were discharged from the penitentiary had been members of the Williams Gang, which was a group of convicts from other states that were brought into Louisiana to be sold in 1845. The Williams Gang. The Williams Gang. So since important convicts for sale was illegal in Louisiana, these women were confiscated by the state government and placed in the penitentiary until they were released in 1857. Mm. Always a loophole, right? And then, and so the remaining three women to be released from the penitentiary were surprisingly re- released by a governor's pardon. That is surprising That's back great. in those days. Yeah. I may, you know, maybe they tried to. Downplay it on on how bad it was when the when the Union Army took Baton Rouge, but Phoebe, the twelve year old girl who had been sentenced to life for wounding her mistress, was pardoned in eighteen fifty seven after serving ten years in the penitentiary. And Letty, who was a woman who was sentenced to life for attempted poison, was also pardoned in eighteen fifty seven after serving three years. And lastly, uh, Rhoda who was a 17-year-old who had been sentenced to life imprisonment for murder, was pardoned in 1860 after having spent 21 years inside the Louisiana State Penitentiary. And you had mentioned her at the beginning. Right, right. And for each of these women, the exact reason they were pardoned, it's not known, y'all. But, uh, you know, however, the practice of pardoning individuals was extremely criticized by the Baton Rouge public, which likely explains rarity of such cases and you get that because now you know they might get out and and do something else bad and 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 when they're inside they're making money they're making they're, they're, money they're paying their, their way and and remember there was no tax funded prisons back then that's right right yeah they and for themselves and you know when they pardon them the public like you said will get pissed because they're you know put them in prison now you're gonna let them out and right. it's just a different time y'all so different now, the outbreak of the Civil War had an immense effect on the lives of the women inside that penitentiary. Right. At the start of the war in 1861, the penitentiary's leasers returned control of the penitentiary to state government so that the convict labor could be used to aid Louisiana's war efforts. Right. So, you know, the South uh, in war against the North and you actually have these these uh, prisoners, and they're making everything from belt buckles to bullets. Right, right. right. And yeah, especially in the South. We didn't have the factories that the North had. That's and right. That would be the reason we lost the war. That's right. And from 1861 to early 1862, the prisoners were put to work. They produced clothing and cloth for the uh, Confederate Army. Uh, and when Union forces occupied Baton Rouge in May of 1862 and later repelled the Confederacy's effort to retake the city in August of 1862, they gained control of the penitentiary as well. So that right. penitentiary, like we told you in the walls, it's in downtown Baton Rouge, right. surrounded. And when the you know when they really started to panic, as the story we told you in our very first episode was when a cannonball actually went over the wall. Shells start falling. Yeah, and they're like, eh, maybe time to get out of here. So as a result of um, of them gaining control, the Union Army had to determine what to do with the penitentiary's convicts. So they they take over the city, and they're like, well, we got all these yeah, prisoners. We got to do something, right? It's our responsibility when we. Seize the city. So the male convicts, a lot of them, many of them actually enlisted into the Union Army. Right. 
I'm sure the majority of them probably wanted to. Right, yeah, uh, yeah, to be yeah, honest, if you ever seen the movie payback. Glory, by the yeah, way, yeah, go the watch best, it if you ain't best, seen it. Oh, it's amazing. Ever. Denzel Washington's best right. work, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, most of them probably wanted to, and the ones that didn't probably didn't have much of a choice. Uh, however, the fate of the 17, so you still have 17 women there, in there. Still locked up, yeah. And four and children, children, y'all. Yep. And they're held in that penitentiary. It's 1862. It's the middle of the Civil War. And basically the Union Army saying, what do we do with all these women and children? Right. So correspondence from the Union Army officers provided me a little insight into the fate of those go. women. Uh, on eight, August 16th of 1862, a Union captain by the name of R.S. Davis sent a letter to the colonel by the name of Halbert Payne. He was a commanding officer for the Union in Baton Rouge, and he was inquiring about the necessity of evacuating Baton Rouge. Because right. they knew at some point the Confederates were going to try to take it back. Which they did tried to and, and, right. and failed, but right. uh, he was right in the attempt. So Payne had apparently inquired about what to do with the convicts in a previous letter because the response he received from Payne was to use his best judgment when he asked about the female convicts and in determining what to do with them. Right. However, in a PS, Davis instructed Payne that whatever disposition you make of them, do not bring them down here, right. which was New Orleans, right. where he was stationed. Uh, Major General ben Benjamin Butler, who had been placed in charge of Union-occupied Louisiana, he didn't have a clear answer of what to do with the women or children either. Um, and in August of 1862, Moses Bates, who was the union superintendent for the Louisiana penitentiary, sent a letter to Butler asking what he should do with the children in the penitentiary, given the imminent evacuation of Baton Rouge. So Butler responds and he tells Bates to treat the children the same way he would any other destitute children, right? destitute. Interestingly, although General Butler stated that he could not condone Louisiana's practice of selling children into slavery, he did express that if these children were born of female convict slaves, possibly the master might have some claims. Is that not? That is so out the box. So by September of 1862, the Union Army had evacuated Baton Rouge and abandoned the state penitentiary. Mm -hmm. So they just... Uh, evacuate yeah. they abandoned the penitentiary and despite captain davis insistence it is possible that the women of the penitentiary and their children were evacuated to new orleans right because new orleans was still union hell yeah and it, it is also likely that many of these women stayed behind as records of another union officer reporting on the penitentiary's inmates mentioned that a few were left in baton rouge right. so given that some the, the, those same records contain a detailed report of male convicts identified for enlistment and the white male convicts who were placed aboard a steamboat. It's pretty reasonable to assume that the enslaved women likely fell into the category of those left behind. However, what actually happened to these women and the children is largely unknown. Yeah, I mean, maybe they ever didn't want to feed them. I don't know. The uh, That's crazy gap in history. You would think they would have took some to help assist with clothing. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know. I mean, these are human soldiers. beings. Right, right, all right. But they, <laughs> they certainly didn't treat them as human beings, right? No doubt. So, but, and, you know, look, y'all, after the Civil War, 
to determine what happened to them was even more difficult. And this is mainly due to the lack of personal information about these women contained in the, um, the penitentiary's records. And for the women who were still in the penitentiary when the Union Army occupied Baton Rouge, the uncertainty of whether they were left behind in the city or taken to New Orleans also complicates the process of locating them. And pretty much they nobody was really looking for them. But while the research in the records of the U.S. Census reveals several instances of individuals who could be one of these women, there is hardly any certainty in those claims. That just wasn't important to them, y'all. And, but they, they were human beings, and they breathed air, and they had names. And while apparently they disappeared from history, I'm going to read each name to you now because they mattered, and that is what this podcast is all about. That's right. right? And we always tell you that. So here are the names of the Louisiana State Penitentiary women and children. Eliza, Celeste, Joseph, William, Claire Williams, Jane, another Eliza, Washington, Henrietta, Letty, Eli, Cornelia, Kitty, Joe Wilson, Drozen, Sylvia, Mary, Emmeline, Carmelite, Emily, Melinda, Phoebe, Yuvina, Marceline, Celestine, Hannah, Sophie, Sally, Sophie, S-O-P-H-Y, different spelling, Hope, Nancy, Azeline, Rhoda, Francis, Charlotte, Nancy, Susan, Celeste, Henrietta, Lucinda, Adeline, Hyacinth, Jenny, and Rose. Wow. Now, that's a lot. You, you, yeah. you, we're telling a story, but these were real human beings, uh, women, and kids. and Lost from history lost until history. right now, and, you know, we put right. it out there and – and uh, just, you know, this is a part of history, y'all, I'm sure we would all rather forget. But even the ugly part of history, we all need to remember that. Thus, well, we're doomed to repeat it, as they it. say. And that's a fact. And the thing is, it's, mm, you know, it, certainly it wouldn't happen today. And, and that's because we learn from what happened in the past, right? And and over the years, it's been slow improvements and everything else, but it did come around, right? The, uh, that's right. And, and I got one more thing to, to go over on this, on this story. And that is uh, something, it's just a little chart that uh, shows, you know, the, the buying prices for, for these people. Crazy. And, and uh, I'm going to give you a few of those. And, of course, Woody told you about the $1,010 that John Hill paid for Priscilla. Right. Right. Uh, Celeste, which was she was born in 1836. Charles McHatton purchased her in 1849 for $470. Wow. Um, in 1839, Charles McHatton purchased Frederick for $226. I mean, he purchased it. They owned them. Yeah. And, and they slaved them. That's right. And and he bought four of these uh, people that 
uh, ended up being slaves right. uh, between 1849 and 1853 and and spent everywhere from $226 to $800. Uh, there was a guy by the name of E.W. Willis who purchased uh, a child named Peter. The mother's name was Marley Edo. Um, in 1859, $1,000 he paid, I would imagine that was for both of them. Yeah. And well, I one, yeah, probably say, right. You know, it just, the, the more, just I mean, the horrible. difference is, you know, like, um, Maybe they certainly children would have been cheaper. The females would have been a little cheaper, you know, because they're working in the house or doing whatever. But the you, they got, you know, the the better. I hate to say quality, but that's how they they used to grade them. Yeah, and, and put them on the 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 auction like block, the slave block. That's a real deal, bro. I mean, it's, yeah. this is real history. And and you know you think you think about it and you think wow it seems like it'd be millions of years ago this yeah, was just three generations exactly. four generations shy of life right now it, you know eighteen eighteen forties were were only you know few hundred years from that uh, it's just a absolutely horrible part of history but an important a very important part of history and I wish better records would have been kept at that time but boy i, I sure enjoyed uh researching it and bringing it see so, y'all i'm gonna i'm gonna give you an example because i just looked it up a thousand dollars in 1840 today uh a one thousand dollars in 1840 is equivalent in purchasing power to about thirty five thousand three hundred sixty four dollars and forty eight cents today wow right that's an increase of thirty four thousand three hundred sixty four dollars and forty eight cents over the the, the one hundred eighty three years. The dollar had an average inflation rate. I'm worried about that, but that that's so. If so thirty five times thirty five thousand dollars is what it would take today. Oh, that's fucked up, but that's a lot of money. Yeah, back then. Yeah, then, so a lot of money and and look they were looked at as uh pro uh, what can you turn in profit right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah so it was they, a younger they, slave they like mm, the younger slave have them a while have them for 20 30 years and get more slaves off of them and they're females yeah and in whatever's born to them oh, that's fucking just crazy 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 to think about but it's history that is that is history and uh we hope y'all enjoyed it look we want to thank uh, all of our Patreon members, yes. Apple Podcast members, uh, you know, you make this show show run. Yep. We yep. we say it every week, but we can't tell you how important right. your support of what we're doing is. None of this is free. Right, right. It takes a lot of time from and not just the recording, but the research of what. And our do. numbers are constantly growing. So, and we, I don't think we talk about this enough that. Um, if you like this, and yes, we won Best History Podcast in the World this year, uh, People's Choice. If you like the stories, that we have so many more that are locked up for oh yeah, Patreon yeah. Members. We just did a bonus yeah, last yeah, week. That is fire, exactly. That was love. That uh, so if you want more, and then you get all kinds of different perks, choosing yep. which levels or whatever. But if you want more. Some of the best episodes we've ever done are, are Patreon episodes. That's right, and uh, hopefully all of you by now have received your uh, your quarterly gift that we give our highest tiers on Patreon. Uh, it was Bloody Angola podcast uh, caps, right. and they were the, uh, the like skull we call caps. Them, yeah, the skull caps. 
And uh, so hopefully you enjoy those. Um, and those were exclusive to right. our, to our highest tier on our, on our yeah. patrons. So, yeah. uh, thank you very much. Yeah. And we hope y'all enjoy that. And we love and appreciate each and every one of you. If you get a chance, go take a couple of minutes and leave us a, a review. Yes. Whenever you, um, listen to bloody Angola, it helps. And also, Unfortunately, in the podcast world, they just made some more changes. The big business people did. Oh, yeah. And if you were subscribed to Bloody Angola before, you need to go check to make sure you're still subscribed because they did some stupid stuff. They think we're getting too many downloads. Right, right, right. right. So they they don't want (laughs) – they don't want you to get your automatic downloads anymore, but you go resubscribe again and you'll get them. So that way, look, you know, if something happens on Thursday and you can't listen, you won't forget about the episode that comes because when you go to your podcast app, whatever it is that you listen to, that's and, right. And you'll turn it on and the latest episode of Bloody Angola will be there. That's right. And one last request if you think about it and you're so kind, please share. Uh, you know, we post these drops on the uh, Bloody Angola page. If you could just share that on your feed, uh, so important to yeah, what yeah, we're doing. Share it, like it and share it. Yeah. And, and, and the, other people find it and, and it continues to help us grow. That's right. That's so, right. So all until love. all love. And until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. Your host of Bloody Angola. A podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Wrangle the Three. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.